coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwell Report. Ladies and gentlemen, here's some statistics that's going to set the tone for the rest of this show. In America, 50% of first marriages end in divorce. 60% of second-time marriages also end in divorce. And 70% of third-time marriages end in divorce as well. These figures come from the website divorcestatistics.org. So the whole concept of till death do us part may be out of date. It also begs the question that maybe divorce isn't a disaster in itself, but that a bigger disaster is an unhappy marriage. To discuss this, I have with me today Dr. Jay Granite, who's also a licensed marriage and family therapist, a psychotherapist, and a hypnotherapist. He's also the founder of StayInTheZone.com. Welcome to the show, Doc. Hi, how are you? Happy Valentine's Day to you and your listeners. It's uh, great to be here, and uh, thanks for having me on. Well, thank you, sir. The stats for marriages is really not looking that bright, and I was thinking maybe, maybe, we should give the whole concept of marriage to the gay community in its entirety since we're really not doing a great job. What do you think? Well, I think you're going to find that the gay community as well, that the divorce rate is going to go up within that community simply because more people will be getting married. 36 states are now allowing gay marriages, and you can be sure that this is going to create a lot of work for divorce attorneys and for um, relationship counselors. Well, at least they'll be in a job, right? Right. You know, I was thinking, you know, every relationship these days seems to have three personalities. There's you, there's your partner, and the relationship itself. So effectively, three is a crowd. And is that partly the problem these days? Because, you know, as a generation, we seem to be more self-obsessed than previous generations. And, and we live in a world where everyone wants their own way. Right. Well, there is a kind of a pervasive narcissism. Mm. And some people have difficulty putting the relationship ahead of themselves. So you're absolutely right about that, Zip. So, you know, what are the various factors in, in your experience that, that cause a relationship to crumble these days? Well, there are many, uh, and I'll list them for you, and then we can talk about them in detail if you would like. Uh, There's uh, physical violence, verbal abuse, addiction, which can include Internet addiction, addiction to pornography, gambling, shopping, alcohol, etc. There's a significant mental illness is another deal-breaker. Infidelity is another deal-breaker. Breakdown in trust, lying was another deal breaker mm-hmm. and often a breakdown in communication and people do fall out of love other conflict points or stressors are money mm-hmm. and sex or lack of sex so that's a probably not a complete list but those are some of the major things that we deal with all the time but you know one of the other things that i thought i would add to that list is you know we live in a world of change more so than ever and then there is this whole thing about coming back to being self-obsessed. We live in a, uh, we're surrounded by a motivational industry that keeps telling us to be better than who we are. So as a result, um, the person we married in the past is not the same person we are with today. Um, Is that part of the problem? That is part of the problem, and especially, especially if people marry young. Mm. Now, people from age, let's say age 20 to 35, can be very, very different, and they can grow in different ways. Mm. In different ways, it's kind of like sometimes you plant a tree, two trees next to each other, same species. They share roots, they share water supply, they grow the same way, they lean the same way towards the sun. And at a certain point, somebody might start, or one of the trees 
starts leaning a little differently, growing a little differently. And that happens with human beings. And it's very hard to predict, particularly with a young person, how they might change 20 and 30 years out. Well, that changes. And then there's a saying that, you know, all good things come to an end. So does that mean love has an expiry date as well? Well, there are people who you know, stay happily married for 50, 16, 70 years, and it's wonderful when that happens. But mm. if you think about it, we're living so much longer. When you were living to, let's say, 40, many, many hundreds of years ago, well, if you didn't like somebody, you said, well, I'll tolerate it for another year or two. But now when you're living till 80 and 90 and above, if you're unhappy when you're 30, 40, 50, or 60, you say, wait a minute, i got my whole life ahead of me, I can't stand this person, I don't want to be with them, and people get out, and uh, they get on with their lives. But, you know, I mean, those those marriages that lasted that long seem to exist in the previous generation of our parents, and they regarded uh, marriage as an institution. Um, I get the feeling that these days we, we regard marriage more as a porta potty cabin, you know? Right. Very, well, but- very temporary. There's less, there used to be a stigma involved in being divorced. That's pretty much gone because half the population gets divorced. So that's one of the reasons. Another thing is that uh, once children are grown, very often people were staying together for the kids, but, you know, that's no longer the case. If the kids are, you know, um, out of the house, there's there's no reason to. Mm. I remember a couple came to see me many years ago. They were in their 80s. They came to see me for marriage counseling. And I said to them, in taking an initial history, I said, when did this problem start? They said, from the beginning. They hadn't had sex in about 50 years. They were in separate bedrooms. And I said to them, well, why did you stay together? They said, well, the children. Well, the children at that point were 55 years old. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. But to me, and it was a waste of, a waste, you have to, waste of two lives because you had two unhappy people for such a long period of time. It was really, really a travesty. And then now you you gave me various factors earlier on, like physical violence, verbal abuse, and 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 uh, infidelity and trust, which you know basically borders on the same thing. Infidelity might happen because there is lack of sex yeah. in a relationship. Yes, that can be part of it, and this there can be a kind of an emotional void where sometimes someone's not necessarily having sex with an outside party, but they're getting attention. They're made to feel special, they're being mm. nurtured, that third party is giving them something that's lacking within themselves or that they're not getting in their marriage. And um, for a lot of people, they're getting this from uh, the in, you know various sources on the Internet. It doesn't have to be the Internet, though. It can be Because infidelity uh, can be with a person, right? Absolutely. So you're not a proponent of, of having a mistress. Well, you know, some couples agree to it. Uh, I would say that generally, and, and some, there are open marriages, I, what we used to call open marriages, mm-hmm. but I would, I would say frequently that becomes kind of a dangerous game and a slippery slope, and at some point there's some resentment, hostility, retaliation, another person starts having an affair, and away we go. Now, in those scenarios, because it seems to be increasing these days, um, if one party is not keen on rebuilding the physical intimacy back in a relationship, or they've always been resistant and, you know, enough is enough, and, and the other party goes and engages in that, um, you, you, 
you find that's being accepted more and more? Well, I, I've seen, I've seen, I'm not sure I understand your question entirely, but I have seen many relationships survive affairs, and I have seen many relationships get stronger after an affair. Sometimes an affair can be a signal or a wake-up call that, wait a minute, if we want this to last, we need to make some changes, or it can kind of be a message that, look, we're out of love, we're done, we've grown apart, I'm angry with you, you're not what I thought I was getting into, things have changed, and it's a signal. No, but I'm uh, coming again, from... I, I, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I have seen many, many relationships survive, even multiple affairs in some cases. So it's not necessarily a death sentence. Sometimes it's a wake-up call. But are you seeing more relationships accept affairs? As, no. as, as As part of the, you know, in your spare time? Uh, I would not say that. I would not say that. The, the person who's not doing it feels uh, angry, hurt, betrayed. Mm. And uh, some, in some instances, I've had couples, I encourage them, well, look, it's a third affair, maybe it's like baseball, three strikes and you're out. But uh, I don't think there's a widespread uh, tolerance to that. Uh, I, I would not say so. In one of your columns when I was reading, you wrote about how in-laws can impact the health of a relationship to its detriment. Why is well, that? That's re that's really true, and you know, uh, these mother-in-law jokes that are popular with American comedians and comics, they don't, you know, they don't come from nowhere. There, there's some truth to them. Now, let me say this. When a family can blend, when you can get along with your in-laws, your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law, mother-in-law, father-in-law, and have an extended family, it's really nice, it's really wonderful. Mm. Particularly, I find, with young couples, sometimes they make the critical mistake, the critical mistake of putting their parents ahead of their spouse too often. And often what I remind them is, I said, look, when you walk down the aisle, you said I do to your spouse, not to your mother-in-law and father-in-law. So if you're not getting along with them and can't be worked out, you must zero in on your marital dyad. Make that your number one priority. But in-laws can get in the way. You know, sometimes young couples want to move into these uh, what we call mother-daughter houses, you know, mm -hmm. that the parents live. And that can be great, building babysitter, but uh, it, it can be a very intrusive situation where the young couple has no privacy. And if there's a conflict, one of them is apt to run upstairs or downstairs and tell mommy or daddy. <laughs> So it's, uh, it can be a disaster. But, um, you know, when it comes to in-laws, I mean, let's look at it from the other side. Let's put this in perspective also. You cannot remove your identity. And, and part of one's identity emanates from their family and, and parents. Uh, so when you are walking down the aisle, you're not just accepting that person. You're also accepting where they've come from. Yes, you're accepting, but you need to have kind of some boundaries and some differentiation, you know. Um, mm. And look, it's great to give them a chance, and it, as I say, it can it can work out great. I have a wonderful relationship with my father-in-law, my sister-in-law, but you know there are there are many couples where there's tremendous friction, and the parents are way too intrusive. And sometimes, you know, particularly with marriages with different cultures, sometimes it takes some education and some patience and some tolerance to kind of get the way this other family system functions and have an understanding of their culture and their history and their way of doing things. So it, it, it can take some uh, education, if you will. Another thing I wanted to ask you was, within couples, and, and as we are moving into time, mm 
men have become less masculine. Uh, women have become more masculine. I mean, trying to be a man is a waste of a woman as far as I'm concerned. But uh, women are becoming more aggressive. Do you notice that? Do you notice that change in, in, in the stereotype genders? Yes, and, and sometimes it's around income. For, for example, let's say the wife is the bigger earner. Right. And so, some men have a tough t- time with that. What we strive for in the couple, where couples are concerned, is I, I like what I call a co-CEO model, where they're both peers, they're both equal, and they're joint, it's kind of a joint partnership. Now, there are instances where one person will take a lead and the other person takes the back seat, and that's okay because after a while, couples start to learn what each other is good at and what each other is weak at. For example, uh, grocery shopping, I'm the worst. I'll go there, I'll get a lot of things that are fattening and no good, and I'll forget other things, and I'm a disaster. My wife can go through the supermarket and expediently, very efficiently, without a list, and not forget a thing. So we know that I'm no good at that, she's good at it, she does it. But the idea of striving for an equal kind of partnership is ideal, but some men are threatened by it, and some women sometimes bring a little too much aggressiveness to the relationship, and they can be too controlling, and the man can feel castrated or emasculated, which is not a great feeling. No, I know the feeling well in terms of, you know, when you were talking about the shopping, if my wife says, you know, on your way back and you pick up some bread and milk, and that's the worst possible thing because there are so many different types of bread and different types of milk, and I have to call back, and then she gets annoyed and irritated like I should know (laughs) which one to get. And, 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 And that sort of drives me nuts because I don't. Right. Now, um, you know, there's one thing I promised my wife I'll never do, and she knows it. Uh, you've seen these middle-aged men who go uh, clothing shopping with their wife, and they hold their pocketbooks while their wives go into the changing room. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't get me near a shopping mall. In fact, Billy Crystal talks about these men. He says they don't really walk. They just sort of waddle like penguins. <laughs> they do. They do. I've seen them. And, and you know, they're looking for the chairs while the woman's trying on stuff. And, and right. thank God for mobile phones now or smartphones because you can actually get lost on, on the World Wide Web while she's sort of trying on stuff. Right. You can get distracted from that. Yeah. And, and dare you say that makes you look fat. Oh, uh, that's the kiss of death. That is. <laughs> now, money also seems to be a big issue. It's an obvious one. But not just the earning power. Let's talk about the lack of it. Okay. Well, you know, a couple of years ago when we were in a recession, mm. divorce, uh, many divorce lawyers were saying, you know, they're finding that the business is slow because people were staying together because they could not afford to live independently. So uh, that's one piece of it. Um, and, you know, many couples still stay together for financial reasons, even though lo- love is gone. Mm-hmm. And there can be a lot of conflicts around marriage. Frequently, one person is more of a spender and one is a saver. Now, the good thing about that is some of those decisions can be made arithmetically. For example, you can agree that, okay, we have joint bank accounts, we have, you know, our own bank accounts, but expenditures above a certain number are discussed. And, that, and the couples do that. But the good thing about um, money is you, you can come to an arithmetic compromise. And couples usually get these either these saving styles or these spend styles. It has something to do with the way they were raised and the, how they grew up and, you know, what, what, 
you know, how, how finances were handled in their house. If they were poor, it might create certain problems. If they grew up during the Depression, they may have a certain mentality. If their parents spoiled them, they're apt to bring some of these things to the relationship. But do you recommend people who can't afford to divorce or, uh, because of financial restrictions, should they continue living together? Well, I tell you, you know, we have, there's a saying, you can't put a price on your health mm. and you can't put a price on your happiness either. And look, if, if couples can go through mediation as opposed to litigation, and many, many states are moving more and more in that direction, creating, trying to make, unclutter the courts and make the le- divorces less expensive. Mm. I think they can often find a way, but it is a tragedy to give up your happiness f- for money. Um, some couples, I had, there was a couple I treated some time ago, and uh, the kids were young, and they they agreed to um, they agreed to stay together until the kids were off to college. Right. When the kids were off to college, they said, well, now's the time, and they're out of the house, and we gotta get we got to get away from each other. So it's just all, it's, it's all based on individual circumstances. There's no one set formula. No. Now, look, if someone is in an abusive situation where they, they're, they're in physical danger, you know, mm. they, have, they really have to get out because it's just their, their life could be in danger. So that kind of trumps money, I think, in, 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 in some cases, if something like that is going on. But, well, um, when some couples come to you and they have defined roles, like uh, let's be stereotyped about it, uh, the husband is the sole earner for the house and, and, yeah. and the wife is, um, you know, uh, a homemaker. Now, if the husband is struggling bringing money in, Maybe he's been laid off or whatever and, and you know, loss of morale, uh, can't find a job or is too lazy to find another one. Um, the whole family starts feeling insecure. That, that yes. becomes another problem. So when they come to you with those sort of issues, how do you handle that? Well, look, I, sometimes I've encouraged uh, wives who have skills. Look, it would really be uh, financially sensible and emotionally sensible for you to, you know, find some part-time work, consider rejoining the workforce and trying to strengthen your financial position and strengthen your relationship. Mm. I mean, that that will make the man feel supported and it'll lighten his load a bit. And Or he uh, might turn around and say, feel um, resentful that she's earning more than me. Uh, well, he might, but given... The choice between not being able to eat and make your mortgage and car payments, um, I think a lot of men could tolerate it. Mm. And you know, and, and look, the idea of competing with each other in terms of, let's say, pers- the man earns more than the woman, or the, the woman earns more than the man, that's ridiculous. I mean, it really is a partnership, and your egos should not be so connected to, you know, you know, the amount of money you're bringing home. There are other things involved: lifestyle, leisure time. Mm. enjoyment of your work, on and on and on. So, But to see couples starting competing around that uh, is not a good idea. At what point in your experience uh, do you determine that there is a point of no return in a relationship? That's a great, that's a great question. Well, uh, if some of these things like ongoing abuse, addiction, lying, affairs, that kind of stuff, uh, 
is going on. It, 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 it can be very hard. I have, a, I have someone I saw recently, happens to be a, uh, he's a, a bookmaker uh, involved in an illegal profession, also selling drugs on the side. Mm-hmm. They have a young kid. His wife is in kind of a straight-laced job. He likes the money and uh, the power and uh, the action that goes with those lives. And uh, she's kind of straight-laced. I don't, I don't think he's given up that kind of work, and I don't think she's going to grow to accept it. So I, I think there's really a divide there. That's one example. Well, didn't Another she know, example, I mean, using that example, sorry to cut you, but didn't she no. know this before she got into the relationship? Not exactly. He wasn't doing this until after. But he must have been pretty wild during their courtship. Uh, I, I don't know him that well, but it was not going on to the extent that it is going on now. So I don't, and she, I know she's not happy about it now. She's worried about, you know, a drug deal going bad in their house where they have a kid. She's worrying about the police knocking down the door. I don't blame her. Hmm. But I don't know if he's going to relinquish this work, you know. Sometimes, um, sometimes couples come too late. It's like a cancer that's been untreated for too long. Right. And I'm, I don't know if you're old enough to know the Righteous Brothers song. You've lost that love and feeling. Well, you know, you in the same way that movies romanticize how we fall in love and how magical that is. People do fall out of love and grow apart, and it can't be repaired. And they just they don't like each other. They don't love each other. There's not no synergy. They're no longer a team. And it's time. So sometimes we suggest the trial separation to see how they feel. And sometimes you can, we ask couples to do simple things. Like I, had, I once had a couple, and they were fighting like cat and dog. And I said, look, just be nice to each other for an hour. So they would go to, and the place where they could be nice and civil was church. They'd go to church <laughs> on Sunday, it would be very pleasant. But I'd say, well, how about, you know, go to brunch after church? Well, we'll try that. Well, in the diner, they would have outbursts all the time. They couldn't. They couldn't be nice to each other while they were eating ham and eggs, even for an hour. So, couple of, when things are that bad, it's kind of a sign that you know it, 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 they're not right for one another any longer. So you don't see that as a personal defeat for you. That's something that you see that would actually help be more uh, constructive for their lives going forward. Not at all. You know, in a sense, uh, in a sense, they don't teach us this in graduate school, but I figured it out about. 20 years ago. I probably should have figured it out 30 years ago. But in a sense, I'm in the happiness business. I'm in the happiness business. That's People a good don't way of looking at it. saying they want to be happy necessarily, but basically everyone who comes into my office in some way, shape, or form wants peace, tranquility, you know, and happiness. And very often couples thank me for saying, you know, you helped me get out of that. It was the right thing, and my life is on a better track. Maybe I've met somebody new. And it was the best thing that we could have helped them to do. So not a failure. And people should not look upon divorce as a failure. Staying in a, in, a, in, a, in a poisonous relationship or a toxic relationship, that is a failure. Or certainly a learning experience. Not, you know. Let me ask you this. And I like the concept of a trial separation. Because it's, uh, it's about not leaving the relationship, just leaving the house. Yes. What do you find when, when people do a trial separation? Um, has that worked to strengthen the relationship? It can sometimes. Um, absence can make the heart grow fonder. 
sometimes getting a little distance and they can reflect and they can restart dating and you know pick up the pieces so it can be a good thing and there are many ways and sometimes there can be even a legal separation where visitation and you know money things are worked out and that can be a trial and i think that you know after i would say 90 days 30 to 90 days you might they might say hey look things are going better let's give it another try and let's try and use some of the things we're learning in therapy and see if we we can give it another go. I have seen that happen. And I've seen it go the other way, where where one or both of them realize, hey, you know, I'm really better off this way, and there's less friction, and my life's going better, and I'm tired of banging my head against the wall. And uh, they, they decide better to part. Now, they're not always on the same page. As Woody Allen once said in one of his movies, when a relationship ends, there's often the dumper, and then there's the dumpy. And some person, sometimes that person, especially the dumpy, often needs some counseling or therapy to heal and move on with their lives. When you, you have encouraged trial separation before, right? Yes. Okay. So are there certain rules to be followed? Like, you know, you can't come back with the laundry because your studio doesn't have one. Um it has to be a separation where there's no contact, no communication. I mean, what have you? What are the rules that you've set? Okay. Well, if if the relationship is really toxic and really, uh, really unhealthy, I might say, look, no contact for thirty days. In other instances, I might say, look, date once a week. If there are kids involved; they have to work out some kind of visitation schedule. Mm-hmm. They can still they can still be friends. In some instances. Uh, Intimacy is a good idea. In some instances, it's better if they keep that out of the equation. Uh, so it really depends on how how toxic things are, and usually they'll usually couples can come to an agreement about how how they want to set it up, and uh, and then they that that can change. By the way, mm. I'd say look, let's let's do this for thirty days, and then let's revisit it and see what you guys want to do. In your in in your column, you also wrote that you know you. I've written about the dangers of marrying your high school sweetheart. So are you implying that you should marry for compatibility, financial security, rather than just being mesmerized by the other person? You want a complete partnership. Look, I think it is useful for people to have dating experience, to call it playing the field, to have some sense of, you know, what people are like and what relationships take and what how it's a give-and-take thing. Mm. And I think that, you know, at, at a young age, you know, puppy love, you can, you can be mesmerized by that. Your hormones are quite active, and uh, people can confuse a hot relationship from a lasting relationship. So I think um, you want a complete partnership where you're soulmates, where you, you, you can enjoy doing nothing with each other, you share life goals, you... You know, you share life dreams. You're a good team. Mm. As Bruce, Bruce Springsteen says, two hearts are better than one. Right. You know, you really can support each other, understand each other, appreciate one another. So you want to make sure some of those kinds of things are in place. Based on what you've seen, and this might be a controversial question, but anyway, um, should one marry within one's own social class or religion or race? Does that seem to create greater compatibility, you think? Good question. Uh, religion, race, I think a lot of those barriers have been lowered and it's so common and you know, 
we live in such a... They have been lowered until you have the child, and then if you have people from two different religions, you start that issue of, you know, um, what religion they should follow. Uh, that I've seen many couples in in the year two, you know in in this century and even before work that out quite well and I, I think it especially if people if, if people are flexible and not insistent on having to have it one way I've had I've had couples that have Christmas trees and Hanukkah menorahs and they celebrate both and they work it out and they expose kids to both religions or one person who maybe isn't so interested says look I don't really care pick a religion I, I've seen that work out now what you don't see too often what you don't see too often is you don't see a white collar person mm. marry a blue collar person that um, you don't you don't see a, a, a neurosurgeon marrying a I don't know a waitress you know too often but they'd marry and a nurse they might marry a nurse, but that they're in the medical field and and they're closer, and those are still white collar jobs. Okay, but uh, that that is something you and, and I think the literature has borne that out over the years. I, I think that's that's held that's held pretty constant. Um, but do you you know then I mean taking it forward, uh, people get married second time round because for me you know I I would think marriage is a one time scenario. And I thought people might want to say, you know what, let's just live together. Um, because in a way, you don't burn your bridges by living together. In a way, when you marry, you're sort of cutting off from everything and you're starting as a unit. Yes. But if you are living together, you always know that your partner has a way out more so easily than in marriage. So you tend to be more on your better behavior, if not your best behavior. Well, you you know, if you're living together, you both have an out, and you know, you you can uh, decide you you you've had enough. And mm -hmm. and look, I used to do a lot of premarital counseling, and when couples come for premarital counseling, mm -hmm. there are a couple of situations. One, you meet with them, and you feel, hey, these guys are really great for one another. They get along. They seem to be good good companions. They share money well. They share house chores well. They really everything. You, and you can kind of say, look, I think you guys are on a good path, and uh, I think you can be a good team, and you kind of give them your blessings and send them on the, on their way to the altar. Now, I can't guarantee it, but I, it's based on the interviews and watching them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Then there are some instances where people are patently wrong. I had one case many years ago where there was already infidelity while they were living together. There had been some alcohol abuse and some violence. And uh, I think in this instance, the woman kind of hated men, and they were uh, a few weeks away from getting married. And I said to them, look, I said, I really think there's some bad things going on here. If I were you, I would think about postponing this. Wife got, uh, the, the woman got very angry. Because you were a man or because of the advice you gave? Well, uh, both. <laughs> uh, um, very angry, and she she said, "Wait a minute! We've hired a photographer. We've hired, we got invitations going out. We have a caterer." I said, "Look, I understand all that. Well, um, they wound up not getting married, and and I ran into the uh, man mm. in the restaurant. He came over and he thanked me. Now then, there's a middle ground where it's a maybe, and where it's a maybe, I say, "Look, why don't you guys live together for 90 days, and or?" six months, something like that, and let's see how you do. Mm. If things are going better and you're falling more, in more and more in love with each other and it's stronger, that's a very good sign. 
if you're struggling, that's not a good sign because uh, courtships should be kind of a fun part of a relationship. And, you know, very often they get more data than they get than I get in my office because they're living with each other, you know, 24-7. Right. And I think that is a good way for, for couples who are borderline for them, for them to kind of decide and learn if they're right for one another. And they can, that can save a lot of problems later on. It's sort of like the transmission commercial. You can pay me now or you can pay me later. Later it gets a lot more emotionally expensive and financially expensive. Why should one stay in a relationship because of guilt or an obligation or the kids? Well, let's take the kids, because I think the answer to the first two, I'd say no, guilt or obligation. I can understand if someone is ailing or dying, something. something no, it doesn't like have to be as dire as that, but if one party is earning and the other isn't, um, the party that's earning might feel that if I divorce, the other party that's not earning might be left a little more vulnerable. So I, I want to be able to give them uh, the, the care that they do. You know, you don't always leave a relationship because of hatred or right. because you find you just find incompatibility. Like one party might be too ambitious, the other might not. Yes. And as a result, they find that the one that isn't ambitious is actually an obstruction to them getting ahead in whatever they want to get ahead in. Well, I'm thinking of one man I worked with some time mm. ago, and his wife was quite troubled. He was a pretty successful guy in the textile industry. And he wanted to get away from her, and he's, I think he's been married two other times, frankly, but he's still, she's the mother of two of his children, I believe, and he, for many years, supports her and takes care of her and is there if she's in a crisis. He still helps out, and, uh, you know... It's many couples can part and remain friendly and helpful to one another, particularly if kids are involved. And you know, there's no reason uh, that, that everything has to end, you know, in an acrimonious way. Right. And some couples can, you know, pick up the pieces and 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 be great friends. I've seen I've seen it happen. But staying in because of guilt or I don't that doesn't tend to work out long term because there's some point there's resentment and there's some you know turns turns on you. I think. That takes me back to, you know, uh, the generation of our parents. Um, are we becoming a generation that lives by no values or principles? Because divorce is an easy exit. Um, living together is an easy point of entry. Well, values certainly have changed. Mm. And, uh, you know, people, one of the reasons that, that people might divorce once and divorce again is after they get through it one time they say well i don't like it i'll just do the same thing again i know what it's like i know the legal procedure i know what it feels like i can survive i'll be fine so why stay mm -hmm. so i would say certainly values are changing certainly values are changing and times are changing the, the world is very different now than it was um, you know 50 years ago in certain situations um, i was wondering if you've seen where one party is willing to change their ways, but the other party has made up their mind. Um, Absolutely. Is it still fair to stay in the relationship? If you, uh, usually that won't work because it's lopsided, you know, and uh, that probably won't work. Now, 
Many years ago, I had a woman come see me. Her husband was a physician. Mm. I mean, usually when I see couples, I like to meet with each of them separately first, and that's the way I do it, unless there's some special circumstances. Husband was a physician, and in this, then I met with the wife. And the, I said to the wife, um, um, tell me, do you feel you've done anything wrong or troublesome in the relationship over the 30 years of the marriage? I said, even something small. She said to me, well, no, no, I've, I've been a perfect wife mm-hmm. and a perfect mother. I said, I said, you never, like, the cap on the toothpaste or left the door open, lost your keys. I'm, and she said, not a thing, Dr. Granite. Perfect wife. Well, I think you know the rest of the story. They wound up getting divorced because she was so rigid and so uh, defensive and so not open to change with no flexibility we have an expression, you can either bend or break. Well, she absolutely will break, and the marriage the marriage ended, and it was probably certainly best for the both of them, as it turned out, anyway. Now, in your experience, can you tell if a couple outwardly project a perfect life, but deep inside they have issues that they're just putting up with, with each other, because, you know, the life they lead outside is better than the life they lead inside? Absolutely. Uh, many people have had the experience, so they hear their neighbors getting divorced. And, oh, they seem so happy with each other. They look like the perfect couple. Mm. Well, they weren't in their bedroom. They weren't in their kitchen. You know, they weren't in their living room. Uh, they weren't in the car with them. They don't. They don't have any. They don't have good data. Frequently in therapy, couples. One member of the marriage will say, "Oh, you know, well, he's presenting himself a certain way, but he's different at home, or she's different at home." And, uh, you know, but aren't we all like that in a way? Uh, because at, at more, home we tend to be more at ease and, and sort of, you know, uh, be ourselves. But obviously when you're outside with, with your friends or you ha- you're at a social scene or a social gathering, uh, you, you, you tend to be more proper. Yes, I, I, and some people don't want to let on that... Um, they're in trouble or mm. difficulty, and their private lives are very private. They don't want to air their dirty laundry. So you're right about that. That is correct. Now, as part of your strategy when you're trying to sort of fix these marriages, um, do you ask to forgive and forget? Well, that's another great question. Um, some couples come in and they have laundry lists of issues. Mm-hmm. Like we could spend months, maybe years going over what they're angry about for the last 25 years. Mm. That's not too effective and not too, often not too therapeutic and not, and, and, and not, not too useful. Right. I have had couples who I say, look, if in your heart of hearts you still love each other and care about each other, how about we draw a line in the sand, we look upon this as the start of a renaissance, a new beginning, a new opportunity, mm. we forgive, we hug each other, we give one another a kiss, and we say, we're going to move forward. It's a little bit, and I have had couples do that successfully. It's kind of like when you're driving a car. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be looking most of the time forward through the windshield, not so much through the rearview mirror. And some couples can just say, you know, he's not such a bad guy, not such a bad gal. He's made some mistakes. I made some mistakes. At the core, we care about each other, we love one another, we're forgiving, forgetting, and moving forward. So that can be done, and sometimes it's the best thing that can happen. Well, here's the problem I find with forgiving and forgetting, because in real life, it, it, 
to me, it would seem very hard to do because you're asking the person who forgives and forgets to actually take on a lot more on their shoulders because, first of all, they have to live with the crime that's been committed. And I'm just calling it a crime. It might be an exaggeration, but the wrong that's been committed. And then they have to put it aside. So it almost seems to be twice the burden for the innocent, if you know what I mean. Well, we all make mistakes, you know. Mm. And, you know, hanging on to anger we know is not good for our physical or emotional well-being. And if the person, you know, even when couples are on the verge of getting divorced, very rarely do they say, well, you know, my husband is, 100% 100% bad or my wife is 100% bad. Mm. They can say, look, he, this is 70% good. And I say, come on, give him a chance. Give him a chance here and just let's, let's move forward and try. If you can't, you come back and we'll deal with whatever you want to deal with. But sometimes I look for the simplest, most least obtrusive intervention. And, you know, I'm sure in your life there's been a person or several people you've been angry with. And then at some point you reconcile things, you have a discussion, or you just decide to give them a pass and you resume the friendship. Usually we feel better after we do that, as long as we don't feel we're being exploited, taken advantage of, or you know, manipulated. I guess that's so letting the... go of anger and bringing in forgiveness can, can be very liberating and useful. It can be liberating, but I guess then you approach the relationship when you start again with, a, with more wariness. Perhaps. Um, and, and one can sense that in the relationship. As a result, there's a little more formality where there never used to be before. Could be, but that could that could be better than hostility. Hostility could get on the could get on the road to healing. You know, relationships, uh, especially when people, couples come in, they don't end like turning a light switch on or off. There's usually a process. Should I get in? Should I stay out? Mm-hmm. What do I want to do? Uh, people who come for therapy are often ambivalent or torn, and it can take them some time to sort out the process. And we try certain things. Not everything works. And again, some people, the best thing that could happen is for them to get apart. Let me talk a little bit about what can happen in therapy. Right. Um, let's say person A changes a little bit, mm-hmm. person B changes a little bit. They understand a little more about each other and themselves. They live happily ever after. That happens, and that does happen. Second possibility is they decide they can't stand each other, really, and they part. Mm-hmm. Another possibility is one person wants in, the other person wants out. Another possibility, one person wants to change, one person doesn't want to change. And the other possibility is that they just leave the exact same way they entered. They maintain the status quo. So in terms of outcomes, that's what, hap- that's what happens. Now, what a person learns about themselves and their relationship is very important nevertheless. For example, one of the things that's frustrating to a lot of therapists, let's say a woman comes in, she's in an abusive relationship, physically abusive relationship. You help her to get out, gets away from that guy. Mm -hmm. She comes in three to six months later, she's married to another abusive man. Now that doesn't mean the therapist has failed or the process has failed. She She may not know any better and she tends to repeat a familiar pattern, even if it's destructive. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the statistics that you, you sent me about divorce shows that you know it can be high in second and third marriages. Right. Now, why is that? Well, one, people go through the process and they say, well, I went through a divorce once, I'll go through it again. I know what it's like. I can handle it. And um, so, some people don't learn anything and they make the same mistake over and over and over again. 
some people remarry too quickly, you know, like often they've started an affair when they're in the relationship, they get out of their marriage and they marry that person. Well, frequently, depending on the time frame, that mar- getting married on the rebound can be a very bad idea because they're needy, they're wounded, mm-hmm. and they can, they're vulnerable, they can very easily make a wrong choice. Right. So what is the model that you've come up with that to help couples improve their relationship? Okay, well, you know, I'm always looking for better and simpler ways to solve problems with couples. And um, this is, it, it's, really quite, it's really quite simplistic. What I encourage the couples to do is to categorize their behaviors in one or two ways. There's relationship building or enhancing behaviors. Hmm. And you can think of that as one column. And then on the other column is relationship damaging or destroying behaviors. So beating your wife is clearly damaging. Picking your wife up at the airport with uh, some roses is uh, obviously relationship building. Beating your husband is pretty damaging, too. That's, that, that's damaging, right. Beatings are damaging. Now, what's interesting about this model is usually there's very little disagreement about what's building and what's damaging. Couples usually see that pretty clearly. So, mm. And we encourage them to do more of the building stuff and less of the damaging stuff. And what also seems to happen is couples start to share. They say, oh... You know, taking me out to dinner for Valentine's Day at that favorite restaurant, that was really relationship building. Uh, you staying out at a topless club uh, with your friends and not calling me up till 3 in the morning and coming home intoxicated, that was really relationship damaging. And if they, there's some core things in place where the relationship is salvageable, this gives them a way to look at each other's behavior which has been in, in, in a fair way, in a way that's been quite helpful to a pretty wide range of clients. I've seen this with white-collar uh, job people and uh, blue-collar, and, and they all seem to get it very quickly, and they seem to like it. So, uh, so far, so good. I'm not claiming to have a cure for everything, for every marital problem, but this uh, is showing some promising results, and um, I'm getting very good feedback. And it's very simple to teach, and in one or two sessions, they, they've got it, and then they're using it. And there's often more to do, but it's a great starting point. So in all of this, in, in, uh, is there still a point in marriage? Are you still a believer in it? Well, when it works out, it's great. Mm. When it doesn't work out, it can be painful. But divorce is often the opportunity to start another chapter of one's life, and it doesn't mean your life is over, that the game is over. It can be a launching pad, a chance to rebuild, chance to change, chance to grow. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is something special when, you know, a couple can grow old gracefully and you know, enjoy one another and share things, you know, grandkids and retirement, on and on and on. It is nice when it happens, and it does happen. G- very quickly, give me three reasons why you think the divorce rate is going to increase going forward. Okay, but one thing is this just this raw number of, you know, the more gay people getting married, the more there're going to be more marriages, there'll be more divorces. Okay. I think this problem with the internet and the need for immediate gratification and kind of a self-absorbed society as you so wisely alluded to earlier, I think is another another part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are two Third, longer lifespan. You know, people uh, saying, "Well, hey, people I'm are getting." When, I'm very different when 50 at 20, and it seems that the, with medical advances that we are living longer. 
I think that that's another thing. And also there's prenuptials to protect assets as people get older, and that's more and more common. And so people... So what um, makes it know, easier to get out? Makes it easier to get out. How can people get in touch with you, Doctor? Okay, well, if they can Google me, Dr. J. Granite, it's probably more on the Internet about me than they want to find. They can reach me at my office at 201-647-9191, or they can go to my website, drjgranite.com, or info at stay in, or stayinthezone.com. You can email me, call me. I also do a lot of work with athletes and their families, and that's what, that's what Stay in the Zone is about. Thank you very much for imparting all that very valuable advice, sir. Thank you. Okay, great talking to you, and invite me back anytime. You ask some great questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern with more fascinating stories that fill our lives with the inspiration and information we so need to kickstart the week. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones, and until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.